Welcome to the Rise Up Network. I'm your host, James Carmody. This is episode 160. Thank you for all the support and love over the last three years. It's just been an honor and a privilege to lead these conversations for those folks that are rising up and making a difference out there in their communities. Our job is to share the good news. We have a topic that is very, very important. It's really timely. It's very important to California and Californians. Um, I have two educators in studio with me. I have the Associate Dean of Extended Learning at Cal State San Marcos and the Director of Wildfire Programs at Cal State San Marcos, Mr. Aaron Guy. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dr. Matt Ron, welcome. Hi. Thanks a lot. So, gentlemen, you guys are at Cal State San Marcos and... You're, you're blazing a new trail, no pun intended, but starting a new program, teaching people about wildfires. Yeah, we are. Um, you know, we were uh, working with uh, fire agencies, uh, CAL FIRE, U.S. Forest Service, and many others for over 10 years. Um, and these agencies wow. reached out to us and said, you know, we need advanced education programs. And that's exactly what we did. And, you know, I guess let's back up a, a little bit and just give our what is you know, what does the education look like for these current agencies to begin with before you even get into higher education, which you guys are bringing to the table? Well, a lot of times, you know, the uh, typical firefighter goes through an academy training, uh, gets a lot of their basic education through there, oftentimes uh, related to an associate's degree at one of our Mm -hmm. uh, community colleges or local colleges. Um, And for many of those folks, that's where it uh, ends. They have to spend a lot of time, you know, getting additional training and certificates and things uh, for their personal advancement in the career. Mm -hmm. Uh, But specific to wildland fire and and more importantly, the urban interface uh, that we're seeing so much of uh, these days. Define uh, that for us. When you say urban interface, what do you mean? Well, it's that uh, we call it the wildland urban interface or the WUI. Um, wooey. The wooey, yeah. Okay, the wooey. Uh, and, uh, you know, what that means is it's that place where you have communities in extremely high-risk areas uh, where the uh, fire-prone communities, uh, you know, the chaparral, the heavy timber, all of that exists right at the edge of where people are putting their homes. Yeah. Wow. Like, what comes to mind for me is the fire up in Malibu, mm-hmm. you know, a couple months ago. Um, I mean, that looked like it was in an urban area. Yeah. Yeah, and and unfortunately, you know, California leads in so many areas along with uh, high-risk communities. We have 5.1 million homes today uh, in that wildland-urban interface, more than any other state in the country. Wow, wow. Okay, so we're seeing that, you know, wildfires are becoming more frequent, and they're not just happening in open land. You know, they're now starting to impact our communities, neighborhoods, denser populations. You just said 5.1 million homes. I mean, those numbers sound staggering. Well, they are. And, you know, we've been trying to change the conversation for many years now uh, away from things like uh, the, you know, wildfire. I mean, when was the last time we had a fire just burning vegetation and none of our infrastructure, (laughs) none of our homes, none of our none of our assets or people uh, and their lives were at risk? I can't think of one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, And then the other one is, you know, uh, we talk about fire season. Um, Look, we're having, you know, devastating fires uh, through through the winter now. In fact, some of the largest fires now in California's history have happened in the winter. So we try and change that conversation again and say, let's not talk about fire season. Let's talk about fire year. Correct. And what is that, you know, new normal? What is that? What does that even? Yeah, it's uh, it's sad because, you know, you heard the governor say that on several occasions this year. Um, We were talking about that five years ago. Um, The new normal is that every year uh, the frequency, the intensity, the impact, the damage, the risk to our communities is increasing. 
Um, and uh, we need to be able to understand that. We need to be able to get ahead of it, uh, not just keep pace, but get ahead of it. Uh, and that's where uh, research and education comes in. And, let, you know, and let's pivot and start to talk about that. You know, so these first responders and these firefighters, they come out of the academy, they have different degrees, and then you know, they're getting certificates and whatnot. Yeah. You guys identified this gap. You know, there wasn't this higher education. Like, what's the science behind this? How do we really get a couple steps ahead of this? Right. Yeah. One of the things that we wanted to do with this program uh, is to provide a pathway uh, for uh, the sort of the the entry level folks who would complete a certificate or an associate's degree mm -hmm. in a fire science related uh, area. Uh, and as Matt said, a lot of times they may stop there and they may not pursue anything beyond that. And uh, this program is aimed to to sort of close that gap and allow them the opportunity to continue their education and their career simultaneously, so that they can move up into the ranks, attain a degree, and uh, pot potentially in the future even uh, uh, get into the graduate level uh, still within their career. And now, is this actually, is it one class? Is it a series of classes? Is it actually it's a, a degree? Yet? Yes, it's a full degree completion program. So okay. in essence, it's the type of program that a transfer student would come into and complete okay. their last two years, their upper division courses. Yep. Uh, uh, so it's full 60 units of upper division courses. All 60 really. units? Yes, okay. 60 units, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the expectation is that students coming into the program have uh, uh, at least 60 units of low lower division courses completed, um, most uh, uh, folks or firefighters or, or EMTs or first responders in the industry uh, uh, coming out of an associate degree program usually have uh, most of those lower division six units already completed. Yep. They may have to make up some courses here or there to get into our program, but once they do, they would uh, uh, receive all their upper division units to complete uh, this degree in wildfire science and urban interface. Wow, and are these guys, I mean, it, you know, as a layperson, I have no, like, what do the classes look like? I mean, chemistry, uh, different sciences? Well, this this one was a, a, a different uh, experience for us. You know, mm. we, we actually reached out to the agencies first. Okay. Um, rather than, you know, the faculty sitting around and telling them what we think they need. <laughs> right. Uh, we're, we're in here with these books. <laughs> we're going to guess what you need out there on the ground. Exactly. And uh, and as much time as I uh, spend with them, you know, I, I really didn't understand what their, what their basic needs were. Sure. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, of course, the administration, understanding how to work, you know, higher end budgets and how to... Mm -hmm you know, operate uh, large-scale programs and management, yeah, all of that. But then, you know, things emerged uh, in the conversation that we didn't expect, uh, mental and behavioral health being one of those. This is wow. uh, the first uh, course of its kind, actually, we're des designing for firefighter behavioral health. Um, and it's a big issue, uh, sure. you know, when you talk about, uh, you know, traumatic incidents that the firefighter fires experience, um, you know, rates of uh, suicide and addiction uh, higher in this population because of the requirements of the job. And so we're trying to provide a different type of curricula. Got it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Got it. Okay. And Aaron, what do you, you know, what do you see as some of the highlights of the curriculum, Aaron, from your standpoint? One, what Matt just pointed out, that that mental health uh, component, I think is huge. I think it's very unique. I'm not sure if there are any other fire-related programs that has uh, a component like that that is front and center embedded within the program. Another one uh, that Matt could also speak more to is the uh, science related to what do the firefighters uh, uh, interact with while they're out there and what do they bring back into their communities outside of you know, the, 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 the wildfire area that they were in. For instance, uh, uh, they're in 
contact with a lot of chemicals, a lot of gases, uh, and they sometimes bring that back into um, uh, communities where uh, unintentionally um, uh, uh, consuming uh, uh, a lot of chemicals or, or, or inhaling uh, gases and, and, and such and bringing back into whether it's homes and, and, and other places where there was there was no intention of bringing that into and what is that doing to uh, uh, the environment and the people around yeah and the uh, the interesting thing you know for 10 years we've been looking at uh, firefighter health and safety from a research perspective mm -hmm. and we hook these firefighters up with a variety of sensors and we monitor the environment when we monitor them uh, mm -hmm. and what we discovered is that the average firefighter on a wildland incident uh, experiences conditions that are just beyond what human beings should experience. Um, they push, you know, heart rates well above 220 beats per minute, sustained peak heart rates, uh, core temperatures, you know, bumping up against 104 and even greater. Um, and, uh, you know, not only do we as researchers need to understand this, but the agencies and those responsible for wildland firefighting need to understand that. Um, because we, you know, need to mitigate those impacts and make sure that they are, you know, once they retire and once they get through their job, they're able to leave, you know, uh, with, uh, you know, normal a successful life. and normal life yeah. afterwards. Mm -hmm. I have a certain quality of life. I mean, I can imagine, you know, I mean, as a civilian and a layperson, you know, you see the pictures that the media puts on and it's like, that's real for these guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're in a truck and they're driving through a fire to go save a family's life or to go save a, a home or a property or an asset. Mm -hmm. And to do that for a sustained period of time, you know, I can't even imagine the toll that that takes on someone physically and mentally. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I see these guys as we interview them, as we look for volunteers to work with us and hook them sure. up with these sensors. And, and uh, you know, we'll see people out there for weeks at a time um, working in an environment and you see, you know, the chemicals they're exposed to, the hazardous materials, the cancer causing agents are just stunning. Um, and you, and you watch them, you see them on TV or, or, you know, see them in person and they have no respiratory protection. They have a bandana in many cases, uh, as their only, uh, uh, you know, type of defense. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, I imagine obviously you have the cost to have the resources for these guys and, you know, do you need tanks? Do you need masks? All, all of the, mm -hmm. all of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a tough environment, and it's it's something that we've never experienced before. I mean, wildland firefighting's been around for you know a hundred plus years, um, but unfortunately, and they'll you know firefighters will often admit to it. It's a uh, uh, you know it's a it's a struggle to move things forward technology wise. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, so it's 2018. We got different technologies moving at rapid clips. Others not so much. What does the technology and the data gathering look like? Well, you know, the uh, we like to refer to the fire department sometimes as uh, you know, a hundred years of prog uh, a hundred years of tradition unencumbered by progress. Unencumbered <laughs> uh, by so, progress. Um, okay. And and you know, and, and taking a new tool. I mean, you know, there was a gentleman. His name was uh, Ed Pulaski. He developed a, a cutting tool for uh, wildland firefighting. It's kind of a bit of an axe and a shovel sort of thing combined into one. Uh, he designed that in 1911. That tool mm. is still used today. It's still the same thing. You know, if you took Ed Pulaski off the fire line in 1911 and dropped him on a modern wildland fire, uh, it would be almost immediately recognizable. I mean, sure, the firefighters are wearing the yellow, the yeah. Nomex, and, and you have air support and things that you didn't have back then. But a lot of the tactics, the strategies, the protocols that they use are, are similar. 
now but think, like 100 years old. About yeah. 100 years mm-hmm. old. Now think about the military in that same aspect. Right. You know, take somebody off the battlefield in 1911 and drop them on the modern battlefield, completely unrecognizable. Sure. So how mm-hmm. have we failed the, uh, the firefighters uh, so deeply in this regard? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's something you never think about. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, what do you get? Obviously, this, your curriculum is going to make a big difference. You know, what, what else are you seeing that's being done? Well, I think the the conversation really has shifted over the last few years to acknowledge that, uh, you know, this is the new normal, that we are seeing things at a scale that we've never uh, uh, seen before. Mm -hmm. Um, And we need the resources, we need the tactics, we need the strategies, we need the staffing. Um, You know, firefighter staffing is a big part of that. The more boots on the ground you have, the better the outcome. Give us some statistics, you know, numbers-wise in homes here in California. So, you know, nationally, we have about 70,000 communities at risk uh, in wildland areas. And how, I guess, how do we determine at risk or not at risk? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's <laughs> it's actually, there's a, a, a bit of a, uh, sometimes up for interpretation, but okay. there's a pretty good model that's used to, you know, look at the surrounding vegetation, look at the uh, the risk of the types of fuels and, and their propensity to catch on fire, okay. annual temperatures, precipitation patterns, all of that. All that. Um, and then we uh, tend to build into those high-risk areas. You know, California, uh, like I said, we have 5.1 million homes in those high-risk areas, and we're only just beginning to build in those high-risk areas. You know, I want to say we're only about 35% built out. Uh, There's a lot of land that's still zoned for development, um, so there's a lot more potential for for risk. And what markets and areas are you seeing that well, we see it a lot uh, in the surrounding communities. You know, you see it in San Diego County uh, in particular, right? So a lot of folks are, are moving out into a more rural community, a little bit more space, a little bit more opportunity to have property. Um, and those typically are surrounded by coastal sage scrub or chaparral or, mm-hmm. or you know, some type of uh, timber type forests. And uh, those are all the high risk areas. You know, it's a fire adapted ecosystem that we're building into. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What what should people be doing? What do they need to know? Well, I think we all need to uh, acknowledge first uh, that we're at risk, right? Um, And, you know, a a lot of times we'll work with communities and you'll see, you know, they use the best practices out there, the best building materials, the best designs. Um, But but years into it, you'll see folks that get a little bit lackadaisical with the management. You know, they don't have the defensible space. They let the trees and the shrubs grow too much. Uh, and then you take this great home or this great design that's been, uh, you know, fire hardened as much as possible, and then you attach a wooden deck to it, or you stack your firewood <laughs> on the side, or you plant shrubs and put, you know, bark down. Um, those are all, you know, high risk behaviors. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So check out our individual properties in our communities and say, okay, are we, are we making smart decisions or are we putting ourselves at risk, you know, because we want something to have a certain aesthetic look? Um, what about. You know, speak to first responders in that community as well as the need going forward. You know, maybe I'm a young guy listening to this and, you know, I want to do something. I want to get involved and I can see this as a pathway for me. Sure. Uh, You know, I'd I'd say it's not just because of the program we've designed here, but this is probably one of the uh, largest emerging fields that we're going to see, um, you know, over the next uh, several decades. Because like we say, it's not just here in California that this is a, a big deal. You know, wildland fires used to be a West Coast phenomenon, but you're seeing them, 
you know, all over the country now. Uh, really? And at times of year, yeah. uh, Fort McMurray up in uh, uh, northern Canada had a fire a couple of years ago. Uh, as well over a million acres um, in the springtime in wow. northern Canada. Totally unexpected. Uh, almost lost an entire community because of that. Um, and so you're going to see this you know, shift in our climate, shift in our temperatures and precipitation, uh, and we're seeing the results of that today. Um, and so when you talk to firefighters, not just in California, but around the country, they're coming to that stark realization that the, uh, the risk is increasing and they need to be prepared. I just want to add, I, I, I like that you use the term pathway. Um, I think one of the um, hopes for this program that I at least have, and I know Matt shares as well, is that uh, it sort of creates a sense of professionalism within uh, this career. A lot of times it's, it's seen as if it's a career, uh, and the, the firefighter uh, engines are sometimes seen as if it's a, you know, a good old boys club or something like that. And it's not seen as if it, it can be a professional, sustainable, long-term career. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want to provide a pathway from whether it is a fire academy to your bachelor's program so that people can get in uh, because of the need that there's, a, there's such a need for, for, for getting these boots on the ground, but also have a career path and can see themselves in this long term and be a professional in this industry. Yeah, fantastic, love it. Mm -hmm. And Matt, where like, if people want to go online, you know, to Cal State San Marcos, what should they be searching to learn more about the degree of the program? Sure. Uh, the easiest way to find it, we have a sort of a microsite called wildfirescience.org. Wildfirescience.org. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that will uh, sort of give you a good description of the program and has all the links that'll take you to the uh, main campus webpage uh, and then the application and everything mm -hmm. else you need. Yep, got it. Well, Matt, Aaron, thank you so much for what you guys are doing. This is extremely important. I wish we didn't have to have this conversation, but unfortunately we do. And, you know, thank God there's guys like you that are actually thinking a couple steps ahead and how do we start bridging some of these gaps and educate people on what's possible and what's needed. All right. Thanks thank for you. having us. Thank you. Folks, remember, get out there and rise up.